What's your why behind being an entrepreneur? Oh, God, this is when everyone's like, what's her fluffy message? Money. We grew up poor. Number one thing, don't ask, don't get. Woo! Boom. All right. Do it. Go home. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Connect Her podcast for female entrepreneurs that are ready to level up personally and professionally. Here at Connect Her, we believe you are always one connection away from your next life-changing opportunity. So buckle on up and join us as we connect you with the most sought-after experts who will be sharing their exact strategies and experiences that helped them reach success. We're your hosts, Sam Conaway and Rachel Haig. We are the brains behind Connector, which is not your typical boring pitch fest networking community. And we have transformed the lives of over 10,000 women through events, mentorship, and of course, connections. Let's dive in. Can I get a boo? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? We're back in the studio. And of course, we've got an incredible guest here with us that we're excited to introduce you to. And if you are an avid podcast listener and you listen to podcasts for female entrepreneurs, you probably already know her name. And if you don't, you should go listen to her podcast right after this episode because she has one of the top podcasts for women empowerment that actually has 2 million downloads. So go listen to the Badass Basic Bitch podcast after this. She is a self-made multimillionaire by age 28. She is a mom of four, a serial entrepreneur, I'd like to introduce you guys to Brianna Dunbar DeMike. How are you doing today, Brianna? What an intro. I'm great. I'm I was telling you guys earlier, I'm very relaxed. Today is a good day. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I am convinced that this woman here got me pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I could possibly scientifically do that. I I gave you the pregnancy mojo. She did. So when we first met, we went to a we went to lunch or something to just chat and meet and talk about some events we had coming up. And she was pregnant at the time, and I wasn't even thinking about children. And she gave me this hug, and I'm pretty sure that she got her pregnancy juices on me because shortly after. It was time to shine. (laughs) You know what? I will say those pregnancy juices were probably pretty solid because my first three were all through fertility methods. And Skylar Mm. was like, no fertility method, just basic old-fashioned way to get pregnant. So whenever I was carrying, I probably gave to you. (laughs) You did. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, he's great. So we'll keep him around. (laughs) I love it. Well, we're really setting the tone for today's podcast, y'all. This is going to be for the mompreneurs. We're going to be talking a lot about what it is like to run a business as a mom. Um, And then also Brianna's incredible just background when it comes to running businesses, launching podcasts, things like that. You guys know me, Rachel over here. I'm a dog mom. I am not a mom. So I'm just going to be moderating and learning And we're going to go from there. So I want to kick it off with just being a mom and running a business in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because watching Sam's journey as she's transitioned into motherhood, I've watched her grow in so many incredible ways that also transpire into how she goes about running our business. I've also seen her face a lot of challenges of new ways of balancing life and things like that. So along your journey of being a mom of four and also running three different businesses along your journey, what would you say are the main things that you have taken from being a mother into entrepreneurship? How has that transpired together? Mm. So I think the first thing that's really interesting that I hear from a lot of people in terms of questions is like, how do you balance it all? Yeah. And the answer is you don't. You have seasons. So you have seasons where you're like fully just in your business and you've got to put things on the back burner and then you have seasons where it's just like all about your kids or your spouse or your house or whatever else comes with being a mom. And I think people who chase a balance, they're going to be very disappointed because there is none and you just have to accept that sometimes you're not going to be able to show up the way that you wish you could in all aspects of your life. And I think, you know, in terms of how I have changed and it's in It's interesting, a little spoiler, I'm actually writing a book right now, 
It's all about being logical but loving leadership. And I think if you asked me this question 10 years ago when I had AJ, I was just super aggressive. It was I was a bulldog. I only cared about me. I, I pushed everyone out of the way. And I think now as a mom, I really learned that logical love way to be a mom. And I've integrated that as a leader myself throughout my companies. And it's significantly changed how I show up and how I treat other people. And it really brings in the best talent to be on the journey with you to success. And so I think a mother has really significantly impacted me to be more empathetic and give my employees or clients or whoever I'm working with that same like love and attention and hard mom love that I do with my kids. Mm, I love that. I want to ask about the different hats. So as an entrepreneur and as a wife and as a mother, there's transitions to maybe even your personality a little bit, mm. one being a little bit more nurturing for your kids and then more romantic for your partner. And being nurturing and romantic doesn't necessarily go into entrepreneurship as much. I guess it could, but <laughs> how do you transition from hat to hat to hat mm. with ease or with grace? Or do you ever have those challenging days where you bring work into life and then life into work? Yeah, I mean, everyone does. Anyone that tells you they don't is a liar. <laughs> um, there have definitely been times when it's like <clears throat> 5 p.m. or whatever, and it and the kids are ready for dinner or I have to cook dinner, I have to show up in that way. And I just got off a really stressful conversation that I haven't even given myself the time to transition because I work from home. So it's like I'm going from one room to the next, not into my car to play the music, to relax, to then get home. There's you have a split second to transition. And that's very difficult. And there have been a lot of times when I have saw myself or found myself being a certain way to the people that I loved because I was comfortable with them because, oh, I'm comfortable you have to love me or you'll always love me. It's unconditional, right? And I think I listened to this really interesting um, TED Talk by Mel Robbins where she has like this five-second countdown. I don't know if you heard mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And I think I've started to adopt that not so much like, you know, five, four, three, two, one, but more after that meeting, it doesn't matter if everyone's crying in the kitchen right now and everyone's hungry. I need to make that time to transition no matter what that is and allowing myself that space to say, leave this here, compartmentalize like what just happened, the news I just received before I become their mom because it's so unfair to bleed that what just happened to me to my kids have no part of that and they're not responsible for what just happened. And so I need to give myself that time to transition. And I think in terms of being an entrepreneur, actually, I bring a lot of how I am as a mom and a spouse into my work mm. because it's really taught me a lot. And I think that's kind of what I was talking about a little bit in terms of having that logic and love. Also with my with my spouse. For example, it's like if you want them to buy into something, what, how do you sell it, right? You get them excited. <laughs> you show them how how that new car that you was really going to help them, <laughs> uh, which is actually a real conversation I just had. <laughs> and there is stuff that I bring into that into my work. Also, like the the caring and the supporting, like my spouse comes home and he wants to build a table for the kitchen. It's like I'm excited about that. Okay, well, I have employees that come and say – you know, I want to build an Etsy shop and I'm not going to be like, that's stupid, <laughs> you know? Instead, it's hyping them up, encouraging them. Mm -hmm. I think there's some some bleeding into that. But yeah, for me, and I'm, it's a learning process. It's still turning off and compartmentalizing and saying there's nothing I can do right now, like having more of that stoic approach mm -hmm. so it doesn't come into these other environments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes with life too, we get handed things that we never see coming. We have a lot that we're managing. We have a lot of hats that we're wearing. And we may try to find that balance, but maybe it doesn't exist at the same time. And then all of a sudden, life hits. Maybe that is something in the family happens, something in your business happens. And right now, you're in a moment where life, 
may have just hit a little bit. Mm. And can you share a little bit more about what you're going through or yeah, I what think, you're experiencing? Yeah, I think when it rains, it pours. I felt like for the past, I mean, from July, I would say maybe June, from June prior for like six to nine months, I was looking at Hunter and I was like, everything is so chill. Like everything is so calm. This is awesome. But also it's like, what is going to happen? And a couple of things happened. Um, unfortunately, number one, I had to go back to family court. And I was previously married. My first three kids are with my ex. And then at literally at the same time, maybe two months before, I found out that um, someone in my family that I am, you know, genetically very close with was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer, breast cancer. And her doctor said, hey, you got to have the women in your family go get tested and like do a, a mammogram and possibly genetic testing. Usually in the U.S., you're, you don't get tested or mammograms until 40. Mm-hmm. So I was not due for one, nor did I have one. So I went to my doctor and I was like, hey, like, we should we should do a mammogram. And um, just given the scenario and the person that was recently diagnosed, they agreed. And they said, okay, let's do a mammogram and also let's do this genetic testing. And it was free, like insurance. And I was like, sure, why not? I did the mammogram. It was totally fine. And then they're like, okay, well, we'll let you know, but everything looks great. And I'm like, okay. Um, a couple of days later, I get a call saying, hey, we found something on your mammogram and you need to come back. And I was like, mm, what did you find? You know, and I'm like all the worst things. And then I got my genetic testing and I hit for two genes that were are associated with the same aggressive breast cancer that my family member has and ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, well, like, OK, genetically, it's OK. And then I went back and I did a second diagnostic mammogram and that's when they they gave me two different categories. Uh, they found stuff on two different breasts, on both of my breasts. And my left breast was a category 4B at the time, which means you're like mm, 50 to 80% chance of having breast cancer at that moment. And then my right breast was like category 3, and it was like, it's a, it's a coin flip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I left that appointment, and, you know, the doctor, well, this, the person that did the imaging said at the time, like, okay, well, it's most likely not cancer. It's probably not cancer. And I just remember, like, all I could smell was, like, the cigarettes coming off of her. And I'm just – and I know that sounds a little judgmental, but I'm like, I can't take my cancer advice from you, you Mm. know? Like, obviously, you don't care. So I went to a breast specialist, and um, the breast specialist did a bunch of other tests. And at the end of that, ultimately said, like, lifetime chance of you getting this breast cancer is 86%. So let's CYA, let's cover our ass, let's do a couple more tests, and like, let's make sure that, you know, you don't have it currently. So I went through the MRI with and without contrast, and I'm glad that I did that because ultimately it's, it removed me, it moved me a category down, which is really good. And um, my breast specialist said, you know, we're not seeing any cancerous lumps or cells right now, but pretty much for the rest of your life, every three months, you're just going to have to go get this diagnostic mammogram and an MRI until we see something. And then we'll talk about what we can do or we can talk about preventative stuff. So right now that's what I'm doing. And it was really hard because when all of a sudden you look at that 86 and I think, God, what I would have done to get an 86 in school, you know, (laughs) like I was not a good student. And I'm just like, God, Fuck, 86%? Like, maybe I'm, and I'm not a risk taker. I'm like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to roll the die to be like, maybe I'm the 14%, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I really liked my breast specialist from Texas Oncology. And she looked at everything and just said, like, let's just every three months, because of the breast cancer genetic or gene that I have, it's so aggressive, it doubles every three months. So if something were to happen, then we would absolutely know and we can be right there to make the change but yeah it's like when it rains it pours (laughs) yeah what a scary moment for you to see that and to see those statistics and hear those numbers and then also what a huge moment that you're able to hear from a family member and get those tests done in advance and the blessing of being able to see everything before anything has ever taken part yeah I think that that timing even though Sometimes it doesn't feel good. It still was in your favor. 
Oh, absolutely. And and to me, like one of my strength finders is context. Mm-hmm. One of the five. I want to know the why, the how, the what, the when, the everything. I want to mm-hmm. fully understand the the history behind something or the reason why something happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel really grateful. It's sad that this family member, you know, had to go through 16 chemos, had to go through surgery, had to go through seven radiations, and I watched them just deteriorate. But also, like, I'm so thankful and grateful because now I'm going to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And it's very, you know, which she found her lump accidentally. Uh, It wasn't through a mammogram. It was just through the shower and found it. And, like, throughout the steps, people believed Oh, it could be nothing, but it could be something. And like very luckily, she pushed through that and figured out it was something. Yeah. And I am I just feel very grateful that I have that visibility versus, I don't know, in two years from now being 40 and then being like, oh, by the way, you have stage two cancer. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to look at it and feel like you like in a bad way, you know, because you're like, okay, this, this could inevitably happen. But God, how lucky am I that now I can see it. Yeah. yeah. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So this is the time of year in which a lot of women talk about things like this and it never comes up in other months. And I think that just you being so willing to share your story and be like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. And I'm also struggling. And, and when it comes to medical, like life is throwing some things at me. Yeah. It's really important to share your journey and share your story because a lot of women aren't educated. They're not educated to get mammograms. They're not educated to feel around or even know what previous people in their family have. Um, And so for the listeners, to anybody listening in, like cancer is something that has has really rocked my world and my my life and and taken my sister's life too. And I hold it really close to my heart. And so for the listeners, I think this is just a great moment to reflect on, you know, being aware of what's happening in your life, what genetics you may have, checking yourself, checking on your family members. And also the other side of things of recognizing that sometimes when it rains, it pours. That's okay. Life throws some things at us and it's completely out of our control. But how can we, maybe finding balance isn't always the best way to look at it, right? There's so much wishy-washy around what balance actually means. But how can we find balance and love in everything that we do? Because life will throw things at us at all times. You don't have control of what happens to you but you do have control of how you respond to things. And it sounds like, you know, you've had a lot of life things happen that have hit you really hard, but you're still showing up as an incredible woman. You're still showing up as an incredible mom. You're still showing up as an incredible leader for your team. Um, And that's something that every woman can hear and be motivated by because life always hits us in different ways. We still have to learn how to show up for the things in our life. So I want to ask from this, when you got that news or when you were going through everything with, you know, your ex-spouse and all of that, how did you, what are some things you used to carpet, oh my gosh, what is the word? Compartmentalize? Uh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, usually the one that messes up the word. <laughs> uh-huh. to yeah. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize all of those emotions so that you could still show yeah. up for your business team and still show up for your kiddos. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a really sad answer, but it's just my truth. I was literally born into chaos, unfortunately, and I've had I had a lot of trauma as a child, and so I think, yeah, looking back at it now, I realize that it's given me a superpower to compartmentalize and put things aside, and mm. like literally as a child through therapy learned to have this visualization of like, okay, you just got this news of cancer. What does it show up in? Or, I mean, I didn't get news of cancer, but you got this news of this statistic that you're going to have potentially cancer. Okay. It shows up in a paper. It's like, close my eyes. Okay. I take the paper. I visualize myself walking into my brain. I'm not joking. This is what I do. Walking into my brain, going back all the way to the back to the filing cabinet, writing cancer, statistic, whatever, open up the file cabinet, putting the paper in there and closing it. Mm. And that's just a trick that I have learned ever since child. And it was like, okay, that stays there. 
And then when I go to my weekly therapy sessions, guess what? I go back in, yeah, grab the go file, get the file, <laughs> open up that file, and, and I cabinet. open it up. And mm-hmm. it just works for me. Yeah. I don't know that it would work for other people. Maybe try it. I don't know. But I think that's how I, I don't want to shove it down and pretend like it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It exists. It's there. I recognize it. I respect it. But right now, I cannot dwell. I cannot talk about it. I cannot think about it. I need to put it away. And then there's going to be a time when I'm ready and there's that space that allows for it. And I'm going to go grab it and I'm going to talk about it. And I think giving yourself that permission to say, I don't have the space for that right now, but I will. And when I do, I'll run and get it, you know? Yeah. That's definitely helped me. I'll be honest, friends, like there have been times, I remember very specifically, I was waiting for my MRI. So it was like I got my categories and one of them was like, oh, 50 to 80% chance. Oh, and also you have the statistics of 86%. And I'm like, I'm like sweating every day and I'm like just miserable. And But the thing is, is that I have responsibilities. I have a business. I have employees. I have contractors. I have clients. And they don't, they don't know. They don't know what's going on. They don't, some of them probably don't even care. And that's okay. They're in their own tunnel and I'm in my own tunnel. But there's times when I like get on the phone and then like someone complains about like, so you didn't set up like the billing in Asana the right way. And so now it's really hard for me to see the billing. And I just want to be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) And and instead, but I'm like, I think you have to be like, this person doesn't know. This person just cares about the billing visibility in Asana. You cannot get mad at them for that. You cannot blame them for that. You have to sit here and although you have a lot of stress and doubt and trauma or whatever happening in your life, that person does not know that. And so literally, while this person's saying this, I pick up the phone, I text my friend, and I'm just like, this fucking bitch. Like, <laughs> okay. And and I'm just saying, honestly. It's truth. It's truth. And I've allowed myself that. Instead of shoving it down and not telling anybody, and then my friend would be like, I will kick that Asana billing person's ass. <laughs> and then I'm just like, okay, yes. You got to let it out. You got you to gotta let it out and I think make a little bit of a joke of it. That worked for me. I'm not saying go joke about everything. And then there's some people who are nonstop with that. And I also believe in just showing up as myself. Like I had an, a client, very, very demanding, very demanding. And he was just, I want this, that, this, that, that. And then one day I was just like, after like a week, I was like, I have to interrupt you. I want you to know what's happening in my life right now. This is what's happening, you know? And I'm like, and I need you to just back up. And I created that boundary. And he was just like, oh, my God, why didn't you tell me this a week ago? I'm so sorry. I won't. I won't. I won't. I'll give you a week. I'll give you two weeks. And the response was really great. But if I didn't tell him that, if I didn't set that boundary, he just would have kept going and going and pushing because that's he's a pusher. And I think there's two ways. It's like know when to set the boundary and know when to text your friend about the stupid complainer, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just I allowed myself both of those things. And I knew when both were appropriate and not appropriate. And I think just keeping that, you know, that as a possibility for you. But the compartmentalizing, like, you can't leave it in the file, the whole time. Like you have to work through the process and let it out. You can't just pretend like it doesn't exist. That file comes back to haunt you. I think <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the things Rachel and I have used a lot to get through challenging moments throughout business is humor. And mm-hmm. so I really relate to certain Things Rachel and I will joke about that probably is not great. Reading our text messages <laughs> is off limits to everyone. Okay. But it's like how we get through She's difficult moments. It, it really is. It's like, I hey, I am going through this right now. So let me just like, let me just lay it on you for a second. <laughs> and, it, and without that, I don't know if I could get through certain days. So if you're listening and you're like, I relate to that, like, thank you for being real because 
everybody probably has that friend where you send that one thing and you didn't you would never say that to someone else. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about for a second. I really liked how you brought up being born into chaos because I think a lot of listeners and people can relate to being born into that. What was your childhood like? What was it like being born in chaos? And then I want to transition that into how it has served you and mm. things that maybe it's challenged you with in your adulthood. Yeah. Well, my dad was an actively using addict when I was born. Mm. And um, for at four years, I was in a uh, terrible accident. My A piece of my leg got ripped off by an escalator. And there was an, a year of treatment for that. And a lot of doctors said, oh, she's not going to be able to walk right. She's not going to be able to run right, et cetera. And between having a dad who was actively using addict to then a very traumatic event when you're four, and then shortly after that, my mom did not handle any of this well. Mm -hmm. And she really, and I I say this lightly because I'm going to say she played the victim card, but she was a victim. Like it's, she's a victim, but also, there's this, yes, this happened to me. This was shitty, and I'm a victim. And and she just missed the and. She stayed in that first component of that sentence. Unfortunately, you know, my, my parents split. Uh, my mom's a single mom of five. She had to go back to work. My dad bankrupt. We lost a lot of money. Like, we, we live, all seven of us live in a, house, a very small house with one bathroom. Like, that's just, we struggled. And then, unfortunately, did not have a very supportive mother because she was, I am the victim. And unfortunately to that, it was a lot of, when you, when you have a six-year-old and you say stuff like, your dad left us for a whore, mm-hmm. for a slut, for a pig. Like, as a six-year-old, what do you think about yourself? I don't think I'm better than those things because why would my dad leave? And so that's what I mean. And that's just like a small snippet of it, of the the traumatic experience. And there was a lot of just back and forth, violence, everything. So it was, it was hard. And I think for me, and I'm very open about this, around seven or eight, I started with eating disorder behaviors that did not resolve itself until 25. So for almost two, two decades, suffered a wide range of eating disorder behaviors. But with that came lots of therapy and lots of tricks and and ways to be stoic and understand that you can't control things, um, even yourself at times. You can't control your weight or what you put in your mouth. You have to, you have to eat. You have to do those things. And I think it all of those things, like, yeah, it, it completely sucked growing up in that environment. But there was a lot of happy times, too. Like, there's a lot of times I'm extremely thankful for and experiences I'm extremely thankful for. But the bad times, the traumatic times, it made me who I am. I am very grit. Like, that is the definition of me. I am disciplined. I am consistent. I am extremely gritty. None of my disabilities that I have, I'm dyslexia, I'm dysgraphia, I have ADHD, all of those things to me, I just never stop me from doing what I want to do because I will figure it out. And I think that's the skill that that environment gave me is like, my parents aren't going to figure it out. No one's, no one's going to figure it out. I'm going to do it. And because of that, I was really able to read people, situations, patterns really well. And also when you're in a very traumatic experience like that and it is ongoing and it is every day, it heightens your senses. Not great for you, <laughs> but it heightens your senses in terms of really understanding, reading body language, reading the room, hypervigilant to sounds and the tonality of people's voices. And I think that's really given me a superpower that I use like every day. Mm-hmm. I think I can relate to growing up in a life of chaos. And I think most women in entrepreneurship that I talk to have grown up in their own version of life of chaos. And I think that's kind of one of the things that makes a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs is because they want to change something generational. Or in a life of chaos, you have to figure out how to get creative Right. Being a kid, when your parents aren't necessarily focused on you, you have to focus on how to feed yourself, how to get yourself to school. And you start to dive into 
all of these ways of solving your own problems. And then you grow up and you want to help solve other people's problems. Um, and so it kind of sets the, the base for becoming an entrepreneur. I find that chaos is the reason why a lot of women start their businesses. What is your why behind starting all of your entrepreneurship journeys? And for the listeners that maybe don't know you yet, if you want to kind of share with you, share with everybody what your businesses are, what's your why behind being an entrepreneur? Oh, God, this is when everyone's like, what's her fluffy message? Money. Money. Financial freedom. <laughs> it's money. We grew up poor. Yeah. For, and I'm motivated by money. I like money. Unapologetic. It's the, it's the truth. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I love helping other customers and clients increase their sales. Yes. Or improve their processes. It's it's a challenge. And selfishly, I like to be challenged. It does not matter if I am what my first company was, content creation at scale. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's content creation at scale. Cool. Uh, it's a challenge that everyone had that I said, ooh, I see the pattern. I can figure this out. I can improve your processy and do it like no one else. I enjoy that. So it's selfish for me. And then, you know, the next one is all about sales improvement. So you want to sell more concert tickets or do you want to sell your SaaS platform? It doesn't matter to me. I see inconsistencies and things that are not fully optimized. And I love the challenge to optimize them. And that's what I do currently right now. And then on the side, I do land flipping, which is so random, but it makes so much money. And it's such a fun, barbaric challenge that is very old school that I'm bringing in a modern way and, and no one's doing it. And so I enjoy it. Now, I do all of those things every day because they bring me money. And that's why I do it. I want to ask about money mindset then because mm -hmm. if that's something that really motivates you <laughs> we're on the same wavelength that was my <laughs> next question you stole it from me <laughs> um, but yeah so money mindset so growing up poor and then transitioning to being a mil millionaire multimillionaire at 28 there had to be a shift or an identity shift or a money mindset shift that happened during that time do you recall any sort of patterns that you're able to change or break around that, that time I didn't really have a mindset shift. Really? Honestly. That's fascinating. I think if we want to say something, I realized that my budget for certain things increased. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, chose the nicer car, the nicer house, um, the better school district. But it's not at the point where I'm like, bottle service for everyone because I feel shitty about myself and I need to feel good. So I need your validation. Like, by that time, I had grown in my self-confidence and my capability, and I don't seek validation from anybody else ever. I know I'm good enough. I don't need anybody or anything to tell me that. And if I lost all my money tomorrow, I would still feel good enough. Mm. And so I don't really think that my mindset around money changed. I make all my kids work for their money. All of it. You like you want money. You want toys. Do your chores. Do your checklist. Um, sell your stuff. Start a lemonade stand. And I'm not going to buy you stuff, right? And I and I think it's really easy for me to spoil my kids and give them whatever they want. And I don't. Even when I, <laughs> my friends kind of laugh at me because sometimes I'll be like, "Oh, I found a coupon for this," and they're like, "Why do you even need that?" And I'm like, why? It's 50 cents. You know, I, I don't think that that has changed me per se. In fact, I'll actually, I'll say this. A couple of years ago, I did find myself feeling kind of bad about myself. And when you feel bad, what makes you feel good? Things and people. And I was going through a really bad divorce. So what did I do? I wanted myself to feel good. So I bought luxury designer bags, you know, because whatever reason they made me feel good. And about three years ago, I took every single designer bag and I just sold it and I donated some of the money and I said, I'm never going to buy a new designer bag again because I am enough. Mm. I don't need that. And I think like money mindset or mind whatever, what do you call it? Money mindset. Mo money mindset um, changes people. Yeah. I have experienced that with someone that I was in a relationship with for a long time who grew up poor and then got money and 
had that mindset of it's never going to end. It's never going to run out. And I need everyone to know how much money I make. Look at this beautiful art that I bought for $20,000. Like, that's just not me. Mm-hmm. So I think that one thing you said that's really important that does show your money mindset is I'm fine with it and I'm fine without it. Mm-hmm. And it's you naturally created a healthy money mindset by not allowing your identity to get intertwined with a dollar amount. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people look up to because personally, in my journey, I grew up very poor. My mom was a single mom as well, like trying to figure it all out. So me as a child, what was the opposite of that? Well, it was the kids at school that had all these funny or mm. like fancy materialistic things. So I was like, okay, in order to look like I have money or have money, I have to have all these fancy materialistic things. I'm not enough until I have that. Yeah. And so I had to unwrap my identity. And I think it's so important to just kind of take a moment and sit back. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, when you think of this big entrepreneur journey that I want to go on, this big business I want to build, well, what do we see online? We see fancy cars. We see the yacht parties. We see all the cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so just taking a moment to assess where does my identity lie right now? Would I be okay without everything I have? Would I be okay with everything I want? And being able to stay at this level playing field all yeah. the way around. Yeah. What advice would you have for a woman in business? Because you've, I mean, you have three different companies that are all serving different audiences. So you have a very good understanding of marketing and sales across the board. What advice would you have for any woman pretty much in any industry when it comes to if she doesn't feel like she's making the proper amount of income that she wants to be hitting what advice would you have for her right off the bat of some things that she can assess in her company mm. yeah number one thing don't ask don't get Woo! boom all right do it go home <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's so true and i remember i was interviewing this one woman and man I just looked at her and I was like, she is going to be amazing, amazing. I could just tell. And we got to the end and I said, okay, like what, uh, what are you looking for in your salary? Now I believe in full salary transparency. If someone asks me, what's your budget? I tell them my budget, but I'm always, but I'm also a business person. So I'm like, what's your expectations for salary? Cause I want to know, are you totally far off my, my mark? And she was so significantly below it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember I looked at the business person in me was like, dang, that's awesome. I should just, <laughs> I should just hire her. But then there was something about her that really um, felt relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, it was you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just stopped it and I said, okay, because I, I do interim and fractional leadership. And I was interviewing for another company and I stopped her and I said, okay, that's not what you're going to say in the next interview. Do you understand? And she was like, and I was like, first you say how much, like I was like coaching her and I was like, you never give your salary. And I just asked that because I'm a business person, you know, I'm like, never. If someone doesn't want to tell you what their budget is and they tell you they don't have a budget, they're fucking lying. Everyone has a budget. What's the first thing that you have to do in order to get approved internally to hire someone? Guess what? They budget it. (laughs) They give you this range. And don't work for a company that has no budget because they probably aren't making money or they don't care about money. And and chances are if they they haven't raised money and they don't care about money, then they're probably not going to be in business in the next couple of years. So don't even go (laughs) to them. But if for anybody who is a real business, there is a process that has to be followed. And I think if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. And so in this case... If you don't ask for the for the other person's salary transparency and what their budget is, you're never going to get it. And then you're going to lowball yourself and then you're mm-hmm. probably going to get hired. And then six months into it, realize everyone's 1x or 2x paid than you, you know? So that's the first thing. And that's like negotiating, entering in. If you are someone, and I hear this, man, I get these messages, I would say four times a week. Four times a week, women message me either at my mom boss in Austin, Instagram, or my badass basic bitch, Instagram, and they say, I'm coming up on my annual and I want to ask for a raise, okay? And they're like, what do I do? Or worse, I just finished my annual and they threw me a 2% raise. What do I do? And the number one thing you do is you go back to your job description that you're doing 
You decide what your metrics are, your KPIs, how that rates you successful in that. And most companies should have that, right, already. Then you go back or you go to your annual review and you say, over the past year, this is what I've done. This is the expectation. I've exceeded expectations by 10%. I want a 10% raise. Mm. Don't ask, don't get. Period. Let's switch that into entrepreneurship because I think this is a little bit of a iffy topic that people don't talk about enough because people start entrepreneurship because they don't want to work for someone else. They Mm. don't want a job. But then oftentimes what a lot of people realize is they've created a job for themselves and they're probably not paying themselves what their worth is. Yeah. And so for the woman that's maybe running a business, wearing all of the hats right now, how can she go about looking at her business like as if she is the boss of her business and she's paying herself and really figure out what rate she should be making so she can increase what she she's charging to make sure she's paying herself enough? Yeah, there's a couple questions in there. I think the first one is, one, if you're starting a new company and you're not sure and you need that income to pay your monthly expenses, then you have to have one foot in, one foot out. You just have to. You got to double it up for uh, until it makes sense for you to go into the next thing. But here's what happens. This crazy thing happens where you're like, I'm making full salary here and then I'm making half extra here. So I'm just going to ride this line for as long as I can until I'm so stressed out <laughs> that I can't. And that's wrong. If you really want to, to dive into entrepreneurship and you need that income, I suggest ride the line until you've made enough to cover those expenses and pour in. Because if you believe in yourself and you pour in those 40 hours to entrepreneurship or your business, chances are you're going to make more than just half, right? You're going to get there. There may be a period of time where there's uncertainty and struggle, but you have to give it your all. Now, that's the first part. The second part is how do I collect money? Well, I mean, for all my businesses, it goes anything that's left over is mine, right? It's Who cares if I'm paying myself a monthly salary (laughs) or not? As long as I'm making money, it's mine. And here's where it's like, okay, you have to start thinking, what are the things that I'm doing if it's just me? What are the things that I'm doing? And what are the things that I can give to someone who makes a fourth of an hourly rate than I would? And I need to hand those off to somebody. I need to make an investment into my company and hire someone or contract with someone to take these things on. So my gift of selling and negotiating or whatever your gift is, making bracelets, who cares, is used to build the business. That's the second point. The third point is pricing. I I struggled with this because there are times as an entrepreneur where you're like, well, $5,000 is $5,000, right? And yeah, it's going to suck. And I'm personally investing a lot of my time into that, but I need that $5,000, And now, luckily, I'm at the position now where I'm like, fuck your $5,000. I'm going to go get someone for $50,000, and I'm going to go find them. I think it goes back to the knowing your worth. Like, you are enough. You are worth more. And I think I was talking to a photographer recently, and I said, she's not not in Austin, and I forget where she is, but she reached out to me, and she was like, can you look at my pricing? Because I'm really struggling to make money, but I'm so busy. And I was like, well, I don't know a lot about photography, but send me what you have. So she sent it to me and I was like, okay, I know enough. (laughs) (laughs) I know enough that I've gotten headshots, that I've gotten Instagram photos, and I've gotten family photos, and you are like a fourth of the price. And you're not in like Bumbletown, Kentucky, you know, like you're in a pretty decent area. You need to up your prices at least like 4X. And she was like, I can't do that. I'll lose all my clients. So what? Mm. So what? If you got lost four clients, but you hired one, how much time are you saving? And she was just like, I think this like light bulb went out of like, that's a great point. Okay. And I'm like, lose the clients. Lose the clients that have been taking advantage of you for years, that you busting your ass over $100, 10 hours to get their photos perfect. And you want know those clients are never happy anyway. So get rid of them and find people who are willing to pay you what you're worth. And the best way to do this, because she was like, well, I don't know. Am I worth that? Okay, here's a great exercise, Susan. Why don't you go <laughs> and find 
10 of your competitors within 25 miles or 50 miles of you, call them up and ask them for their pricing. That's how you find your worth. And I think that's my recommendation to people. And I do this to myself because I had a couple of people tell me that a service that I offered was just way too much money. And I was like, well, I'm, we're the best, which we're not. <laughs> I'm sure we're not. I was like, we're the best. And if you don't want to pay this, then too bad. And you know what I did? I said, okay, it was a humbling moment. Let me go to the competitors. And I realized that we were really overpriced. And so I brought my pricing down and like no one complained again. But I think it's a good reality check to look at your competition and, and see what are you worth and what is it going for? And you adjust up or down based on that. I love that. Seeing what you're worth, looking at your competition. And it doesn't always mean like comparison. How can I do exactly what they're doing? But how exactly. can I assess everything around me and then form my own decision based off of the time that I'm putting in, the energy that I'm putting in, who is my ideal client avatar? I think that's a really incredible perspective that every woman can do on her business, whether she's financially where she wants to be right now and she just wants to scale, or maybe she's financially struggling. How can you do those quarterly reassessments of where you're at financially? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're doing a, a service like that, for example, makeup, photography, kids parties, I mean, you insert whatever, it's like the people who want you can only look 25 mile radius so uh, that's it. Now, when you get to something like Etsy and you're making knitted sweaters for toddlers, it gets a little bit harder because I'm like, you, people can go on Amazon and find that. So how is yours different? Is it organic? Is it donated to whatever? Is it sustainable? Like play off that if you want to increase your prices, but you have to figure that out. That was a lesson that Rachel and I learned very early on that it was just as challenging to sell something that was $100 as it was $10,000. <laughs> it was the exact same energy output. And we're like, why are we? <laughs> and, and to fulfill. At, yeah, least, yeah. at least for my experience, it's like it doesn't matter if it's a $1,000 a month client or $10,000 a month client. I still have to set up the project, set up the KPIs, mm -hmm. set up the the metrics, meet with all of these people on a weekly basis and give updates, manage people, onboard them. And I'm like, goodbye, $1,000 a month projects. I'm not doing them anymore. Yeah, exactly. I want to stay on the money topic for one more question for you. And money is the number one reason for divorce from statistics. So I'm curious with your marriage that you're in now, how does money conversations come up and what have you guys found that's really helpful to lead that conversation? Mm. So in the beginning, we really bickered about this and not so much the amount of money coming in, but the, the mental load and responsibilities behind the money. And <laughs> we go to couples therapy and after lots of couples therapy, I realized, because I was the one bickering about it, I realized that in a partnership, just like anything, there are people that bring things that they're really good at doing, and there's people that bring other things. And it's it's all about huh, the balance between, <laughs> you can find balance in partnerships, but not time management. Um, but the balance between you have your strengths and weaknesses and I have mine. And I think like it was really, and I love my husband, God, is he just the most amazing creature when it comes to my anxiety and like trying to figure out everything perfectly. He's very chill. But I think it was like, okay, I'm going to take on this responsibility and yeah, I'll pay. I'll make sure all these bills are paid, which by the way, is like a lot. But then what do I give you, right? And once we figured out what I gave him and he needed to take, it really worked out well for us. I'm in a very fortunate position where, you know, for the most part, money doesn't hurt our relationship in the sense of paying bills and making sure people are fed. We're very privileged in that retrospect. However, you know, like I said, we're back in family court and it's hard when you and your partner work together to build up some savings that maybe you wanted to do a renovation on the house and all of a sudden you're pulling out a shit ton of money to pay lawyers when you really don't want to. Mm -hmm. And that is relatable in any sense. Maybe there's a flood and your insurance doesn't cover it. Maybe you need a new car because it broke down. 
maybe your kids need therapy and it's not covered under your insurance. There's so many things that's hard that you feel like you've sacrificed to pull this together. And now you have to pull it out and start all over again. And that can cause a lot of strain. But I think the best way to look at it is is like, okay, I'm 38. He's 33. We're so early in this and we can we we don't need that renovation next year. We can do it in, in four years, you know, and let's it's about that grittiness. It's like, yeah, that sucked, but life happens. So how do we put a plan into place together that we both can dedicate refilling that money that we just pulled out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this. And I think that money is something that women, women, men in general, humans are scared to talk about. It's not talked about enough. Yeah. Financial budgeting, all of the things. And what is most important about this conversation is none of us are qualified to be financial budgeters or give financial advice, (laughs) but we're real raw and vulnerable about having the conversation. Um, And since we're on this money topic, and that's pretty much the theme of today's episode, aside from motherhood and all of the things, I would love to ask, what are some money habits that you have personally that you've picked up over time? Um, It sounds like, you know, when it comes to business, it's a lot of KPIs and metrics, which is, of course, important in checking your pricing and things like that. When it comes to your relationship, the communication, is there anything else that you do to really manage your money or stay on top Mm -hmm. of those things? Yes. So every project that I run, every campaign that I do, it doesn't matter. I relate it to what revenue is coming in. So what am I earning? Top line revenue. What are people paying me for? And then I track every single expense that comes directly to that project. So contractors, technology, my time, et cetera. And what I want to do on a per project basis is understand the profitability of that type. So for example, Let's take something silly like making a shirt, okay? And it's not silly to make a shirt. I love people who make shirts, but it's a silly example. <laughs> Brand's wearing a nice shirt right now, by the way. Her shirt, I'm about to go order one. She's got a women empowerment. Love me some good shirts. But <laughs> let's say the shirt costs $5 and then you have to knit it, whatever, like knit a little like my name. Okay. And that the knitting and the time and effort takes another $2.50. Then I have to ship it for $5. And then another $250. Okay, that's $15. If I'm selling that shirt for $16, bye. I'm never selling that shirt again. It's gone. But if I have another thing like a scrunchie that I also sell for $15 and everything in costs me $2, I'm a fucking scrunchie like business now, you know? <laughs> and I think that is super important to understand on that item level or project level or conference level or what you're sell- whatever it is, the profitability on that. And I do that in my personal life too. And I do that on a monthly basis and I review it with my husband. As an example, I will say we brought in this money and then I, ca- I literally sit and I download all of our expenses, everything that we buy and then categorize it like, like a closing the book, monthly books. And then I say, look at this chart. Look at this chart. Look how much we're spending in Amazon, right? Oh, my God, it's October and Prime is here and it's off the charts, of course. But it allows us to see pattern behavior of our spending. And it also holds people accountable. And so every month, if you're reviewing that together, and it's no judgment, okay? Like you can't go back and be like, you spent $10,000 in Amazon, which Actually, I probably would. So let's uh, you spent a hundred dollars at Amazon. I would I wouldn't be mean about that. But anyway, it holds accountable. So like the next month, when you're there, you're like, okay, do I, do I really need, need this? this scrunchie? It's just so it's holding accountable. And I also think like I budget everything. So I'm like, okay, based on last year, this was our food cost, and this, and that, and that, and all of these things, our therapy and. Our, our nights out, we were spending so much money on dinners out that this year, it was a year of cooking at home. No more, like date nights had to be experience. Go on a hike, go play pickleball, go do something that you're not spending money on. And it allows us to have that accountability every month. We could see, are we over budget? Are we under budget? And the best thing that we do is each month, him and I both get funny money. 
So it's like funny money. You do like that. (laughs) You do what you want. Like you want your nails done. You want that cool shirt. You want your hair done. You want whatever. Take it from your funny money. And that's yours. And you don't have to spend it. If you want to save up for a new bike or a new bag, whatever, you save up. Right? Normal people do. But it's your money and there's no judgment unless it's something inappropriate. There's no judgment on the money that you spend. And I think having some sense of ownership there, even though I'm the one doing it all, he has a sense of ownership of like, this is the budget, there's accountability, there's this, I'm agreeing to this, is really change the way that we view money and how we respect money. Yeah, I like that. And I think that this is something that's not talked about in school by any means. No, and I teach Budgeting my kids this all the time. That is going to be, a, your kids are going to be millionaires. I already know it because nobody taught me that and it took a lot to work through. And when yeah. you think about budgeting, for me, when I first heard all of these entrepreneurship podcasts are like, you need to track everything. I was like, what? This is so scary. There's so many different components to it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something, it's like a muscle. You flex it over time. It becomes easier and easier. Now, you know, when you sit down in the beginning, you're tracking everything and you got to type everything in. It takes 10 years. And then the next month, it's a little bit easier. The next month, it's like, oh, we plugged in a couple of numbers. We moved around the funny money. Now we see a better perspective. It becomes easier over time. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, hack, go to ChatGPT4. There's a plugin for data. You can actually download all of your expenses, upload it, and tell it to organize and make a, like, prediction. And there's all sorts of things you can do versus categorize this for me, whatever you want. Um, The other hack I'll do for any moms out there that are like, yeah, teach our kids. I want to teach our kids. Okay. This is going to – if you have like, I would say five-year-old or above, every morning I have a checklist for school. And it's like nine things. And if they finish their checklist before a certain time, they get to move a dollar. Now they all have something called green light. This is not a plug. I'm not sponsored. I just fucking love Greenlight. (laughs) But Greenlight is an app, and they get a debit card with, like, their photo on it. And they can open up the app, and they have the spending money, the savings money. And savings monies have goals. So they could say Pokemon cards or my daughter has an iPhone. Like, good luck. I keep taking money out of that. You're never getting it. She's like, I didn't spend it. Where'd it go? (laughs) Taxes. And I $10,000. Put another zero there. Um, but anyway, you can have all of these savings and you decide. And the savings I teach my kids, like you don't take money out of there until you've reached your goal. And then you move it to spending and you buy what you want to buy. Spending money is funny money. You can, if you want to buy, you want to go to Target and you want to buy that Pokemon shirt. Do you have enough spending money? Okay, buy the shirt. And then lastly, there's investment money. So they have stocks. They look. They look at their stocks. They put money into their stocks, and they know investment never comes out. Just never comes out. You know, it's like until you're retired in seventy <laughs> years. But anyway, what we do is we have chore. There's like chores on there, so they can go in and say, "Okay, I did my room. I read my book," and it releases money to them. So it's such an incredible way to teach kids about responsibilities, and even though I hate exchanging time for money, they're children. They need to learn. Exchanging time for money, spending, savings, investment, goals. And then a lot of the times it's interesting because my son will be like, I really want this Pokemon card. And then he opens up his app. He's like, oh, I don't want to spend all of my money on this Pokemon card. So I'll just keep saving. And it's just a way to teach them. But no one taught me that. Yeah. They're like, so. Did you come up with that? The The little... The green light and the I checklist wish. and putting yes. it together and yes, well, so my sister gave me the idea of the checklist, but I made it like a thing for the kids mm-hmm. of like check it all, get a dollar. But there's also a consequence. Ooh, because it's morning, and you know how hard it is to have four kids all like running around, and three of them have to be completely dressed, fed, get their backpacks, everything out the door by seven twenty-five a.m. It's it's hard. So. If you don't complete the checklist by that time, we live really close to our school, then your consequence is you walk to school because you being late is not fair to the other children that are on time doing what is meant to be done so that they don't – they it's not right for them to be late because of you. So you deal with your consequence and that means walking to school and then telling the main desk why you had to walk to school. 
get your tardy slip, and then tell your teacher why you had to walk to school. It's only happened once. Wow. To one kid? One kid. Is it the middle child? No, it's the oldest. <laughs> was it the middle child? <laughs> Sam was clearly... I was the middle child. Middle child. My behaved <laughs> one. Are you kidding me? My two middle... Well, because of four. My yeah. two middle are like the most perfect children. Really? Yeah, that's weird. Huh. Normally it's the They third, haven't fourth, hit their right? teen years though yet. Yeah, yeah. Let me know. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's we'll, like a middle... We'll, yeah, we'll circle back on that one. <laughs> I love that. I love what you're instilling in your children. I love the systems that you've created with your spouse as well and how it's also correlating to how you run your business and your team. And I think that um, money is a subject that feels touchy. And I remember mm-hmm. the first time I looked at a budget, I felt like throwing up. <laughs> and it did. Like, it was a rep thing. I literally, ha- like, for 30 days, I, I make these calendars and I check off habits. Mm. And one of my habits was... Just look at your bank account. Yes. Literally just look at it. You don't have to do anything. You know, like let's baby step this thing because it sometimes is just, if I don't look, I don't know. And if I don't know, I can't be hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah. And now, now I'm making a plan to grow that. And now I'm excited to see it. And now when it's making momentum, it's like, ooh, okay, this feels good now. And that healthy relationship starts to form. It's just ripping the Band-Aid off. And maybe you're someone who's like myself who just has to start with looking at it. Mm-hmm. 30 days straight, just look. And then do the chat GBT thing and optimize <laughs> and systemize. Well, like categorize. under Because I think a lot of people don't even know what they're spending their money on. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, credit card, $5,000. Okay, I have it. Okay, pay. Mm-hmm. But I think there's got to be this sense of accountability mm-hmm. to say, okay, $5,000, you ate out $1,200 worth of food last month. Mm-hmm. Is that what you want? Did that $1,200 of eating out free up time and space for you to make more money? Okay, then keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, if it's taking away, then refocus your thought next month to getting it down to $600 and then $300. And I think having that accountability is what people don't want because it's easier to don't look, don't don't feel mm-hmm. or put it on my credit card and pay the minimum balance, but you know, and I won't I won't look at that interest rate payment or whatever it's called, um, which is more than what your minimum is. <laughs> most likely it, that's accurate. But I think taking that ownership and responsibility is like really the first step to making any kind of change. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, this has been an incredible episode. And as we wrap it up, I have two questions for okay. you. I feel like you are such a peaceful woman. Like you just bring grace around you when I'm having Fine. a conversation. <laughs> But you also have some sass to you. And I feel like nobody... I've enjoyed the sass. I'm like, where did that come from? I know. She's like all of a sudden talking about something like calm. And then she's like, but fuck that. (laughs) Um, You have some sass in you. And so I just want to share with the audience where the name of your podcast came from. Because you told us this story and I was like, she's a badass. Yeah. Okay. So badass basic bitch. Um, (laughs) I I was at like a function and it was a bunch of women there. And I had made a comment on something that was quite not political, but just not something that people normally would say or make. And it wasn't anything inappropriate. I was just taking a stance in a place that I thought I could take a stance. And another woman halfingly joked and said, what do you have to add to this? Like something along those lines, like, you're just a basic bitch. And Ooh. and she said it very jokingly. And I just remember being like, girl, <laughs> I'm a badass basic bitch. And then when I came home, I just I, – I have anxiety. So I replayed that conversation over and over again. And I really could not let it down, you know. And I, try, I was like, file cabinet, file cabinet, file cabinet. But I couldn't. <laughs> like, file cabinet was like locked. Um, it's like, <laughs> no, you must feel this. And so – I just just remember thinking to myself, like, God, yeah, that happened to me, and that woman doesn't know anything about me. She literally has no idea about anything. She just views me as, like, the basic white mom that is in this school district that has seen nothing in life, and, like, I'm very privileged. And, okay, yeah, I agree. I am very privileged right now, but that wasn't always the case for me. 
And so I just thought, God, how many other women who have done amazing things that can't share their story, like the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world, that really deserve to share their story and their story deserves to be heard. And that's when I said, I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to call it Badass Basic Bitch. And I'm only going to, you know, feature women on the podcast that allows them to share these stories so the rest of women can see and hear that, hey, this could be me. It's actually attainable. So that's how it started. Over the weekend, I heard someone say, I'm a little holy, but I'm a whole lot of hood. (laughs) And I think that that is is you. That is you. A whole lot of hood. There's still some grace in there. (laughs) Yeah. I'll take that. I had an employee call me crispy the other day. Crispy. You're crispy. They're like, you're crispy. And I was like, like one of those like crispy cookies, but like inside it's soft and good. He's like, no, you're just fucking burnt crispy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, I guess that's your experience of me. I'll just validate that. Sounds great. I love it. You're you're crispy. I would never look at someone and be like, you're crispy, but. I sent you an audio yesterday saying I'm. Like, I'm trying to get crispy. and <laughs> See, she's trying to get crispy. Except for, <laughs> when we're I think training of, for a bodybuilding show. <laughs> yeah. I was talking I ripped. Don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what he was referring to. Yeah, yeah you're, you're just jacked is what he was you're trying to say. <laughs> that you have a great body. <laughs> uh, okay, so as we wrap this podcast up, we wanted to ask our final question. It's the question we ask every single mm-hmm. person on this podcast. And so what is one connection that changed the trajectory of your life? Oh, my husband, though. Mm. By far. He he literally came, God gave him, God sent him to me in the start of the hardest period of my life, Mm. period. And at that point, I did not have anyone. My family was too far. My friends were not interested um, because they just weren't real friends. They're no longer friends. And he supported me through my whole entire divorce. And it was an extremely high conflict divorce. And without him, like, I I just, I have no idea what I would have done. So. Yeah. It's powerful. When goes the hunter. Yeah. Your partner is, I think, the most important decision that you could you could make so Absolutely. you chose a good one yeah i did well connectors it has been an incredible episode we talked a lot about the real the raw the vulnerable money mindset even breast cancer motherhood all of the different things and so if you want to hear more from brianna go ahead and tune into that badass basic bitch podcast um, and we're also going to link her instagram below she is out here in austin for our austin community we'll put her podcast down below as well And we look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode. Peace, peace. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Connect Her podcast. We are your hosts, Sam and Rach. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, make sure to connect your friends with your favorite episode, leave a review, and download that favorite episode for later. And remember, you're always one connection away. We'll catch you in the next episode.